Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. Ah, uh, yes. I get the air conditioner working again. Or turned on. Let's put it that way. It's hot again in California. I was, I was dying. I was, I was all falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Evil 3 didn't, didn't uh, oh, yeah, that help wouldn't. that either. <laughs> Not exactly a wake-up. Uh, right. Time. Yeah. Not nearly. Um, Is there any coffee beers out there at Heritage? <laughs> Actually, uh, we have. Um, we did one called Alternating Current, which was a uh-huh. like a 15-plus percent beer with coffee <laughs> and bourbon barrel aged. And so the coffee gives you the high, the alcohol gives you the low. That's what we call Alternating Current. It's a good name, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, indeed. And and now we are going to be serving uh, cold coffee on nitro. Oh, nice. Yes. So That's got, really tasty, too. We've got a guy uh, called First Crack Coffee. He's in Vacaville. He's right, right next to us. And um, he single sources the beans, you know, like per farm out of uh, all these coffee-growing regions of the world. And then he roasts them himself to, you know, these specific standards. And he's just a, a master at it. Turns out spectacular. I've been drinking a lot more coffee since, <laughs> since meeting this guy. And so uh, that's the coffee that we're going to be serving here pretty soon. That sounds good. That mm-hmm. sounds good. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I've been uh, redoing taps. We're actually going to be able to do wine service, too. Oh yeah! Wow. So there's That's a local new. winery that that uh, we've worked with that's giving us grapes for beers and things like that, and so uh-huh. uh, we're going to start serving some of their wine. Are you going to do any distilling of it? Make some brandies? Um, our distilling license doesn't allow me to get um, alcohol from others and distill it. Oh. Okay. So the interesting thing is, a lot of the distilleries out there, they don't actually ferment anything. They just buy mm. totes of alcohol from like some fuel plant in the Midwest <laughs> and then process it, and that's what they what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the best stuff is stuff that you know you you determine and ferment. You know, you make the mash and do all this yeah. stuff. Um, and so I don't mind that our license doesn't allow us to get alcohol for somebody else. I'd rather make it all ourselves, anyways. And so um, we could get grapes from them and then ferment the grapes and then distill that as brandy. Okay. We just can't let them ferment it. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a bunch of um, 
well, I shouldn't say a bunch. There's there's a, a trend in grape ales, uh, like Italian grape ales and other wine regions where, uh-huh. you know, making a half a half must, half uh, mash kind of wort um, and fermenting that. And I, I've had some really nice ones from South America. That would mm-hmm. be... That'd be something that you could do. Uh, we've already uh, been doing that for several years. Uh, beer well, called uh, Blood of Jupiter. Oh, okay. it's made with uh, Sangiovese grapes, and Sangiovese translates to Jupiter's blood. Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing Blood of Jupiter for the last four plus years, and uh, we do this with uh, Green Valley Cellars, which is a they're a winery in our valley which is called Green Valley, and mm-hmm. um, uh, they actually grow the grapes there. Like the only ones around that are like growing their grapes there. And um, so we've been using grapes from them. This last year, they gave us like a ton, literal, a literal ton of grapes or a couple <laughs> of tons of grapes uh, to make the beer. So really cool people. I love them. They're yeah. they just awesome. Well, you know who else is awesome? Our good friend John Blickman? No, but let's talk about him anyways. No. <laughs> <laughs> he is awesome. He is just a sweetheart of a guy and uh, a really, uh, you know, a, a brilliant uh, engineer. And um, yep. I'm, you know, the, one of the things I love about doing these shows is that I've met so many great people and made so many good friends. I mean, it's it's really the the value I get out of this is yeah, I agree. Right, because we don't make any money at it, but we we do <laughs> get to meet some awesome people. Um, actually, I'm getting on a plane end of the month, heading out to uh, uh, Netherlands and Sweden and uh, England, and. Um, uh, one listener, he was like, yeah, I'm a pilot, you know, and I, I'm, I fly, you know, Netherlands to Sweden. I'm like, well, I'm going to Netherlands to Sweden. He's like, well, you know, I'll pick your, pick your, the flight you're on. I'll, I'll request that one. So sure enough, he's going to be, he's going to be flying me, uh, Netherlands to Sweden. That's awesome. Yeah. Or Netherlands to Sweden or, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's just sweet. So uh, we're going to meet up for a couple of beers beforehand. Yeah, he's got to get liquored up before he flies that plane. Right, right. You know, uh, (laughs) but uh, no, I thought that that's really cool. I mean, you know, it's somebody I wouldn't have met or known uh, until, you know, if it wasn't for doing these shows. So I really do. I really do find that that's the greatest value. And, you know, somebody like John Blickman, you know, when you talk about great value, Yep. Sometimes the the equipment that he makes is not the cheapest. It's no. not that expensive either. When you look at the value of what you're getting, you know the the engineering that's gone into it, the the quality of the the production, the quality of the of the the equipment, um, you know how it affects your brew day. I think that you know you kind of get what you pay for in a lot of the stuff. You can buy some some cheap stuff from. Uh, uh, China, or you know, you can get uh, you know good stuff that's you know going to make uh, make your your brew day uh, you know even better. So right. uh, check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Lots of great stuff there. If you're going to the conference in Portland, um, you want to get out there and stop by the Blickman Engineering booth. You get to meet John Blickman and a lot of his other really brilliant people. He brings out engineers and stuff and. 
They're the nicest people, and we'll talk to you all day about uh, your needs and how you brew and and how uh, you know the equipment that they that they sell uh, will or won't um, you know do what you what you want to do with your brew day. They'll be honest with you. They're they're not there to sell you snake oil. They're there to make happy brewers. So check them out. BlickmanEngineering.com. You can also send an email directly to John Blickman by sending an email to feedback at, at BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, and uh, he will get that. Tell him thank you for sponsoring the shows for all these years. All right. Um, today, we were going to talk about, you know, it's real interesting. Um, I've, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of uh, body keeps coming up. You know, in, in related stuff, head and body. I think people are looking now for, you know, beers that, um, you know, go more on the extreme. So they're looking for, um, you know, drier beers, lighter beers, and they're looking for heavier beers, you know, more thicker beers, richer beers. You know, they don't want anything in between anymore, it seems. The modern drinker is looking for those extremes. So it's kind of interesting to kind of delve into that uh, topic of of body. So what we've done is gathered together some of your questions. Uh, If you have questions for the show or topic ideas, show topic ideas, you send them in to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. And uh, we will uh, get to all those eventually. But, uh, you know, uh, the topic of body has come up uh, a number of times. So I thought that that was uh, a good a good uh, topic for us. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, we got someone actually calling right now. Oh, it's got yeah. a question for you guys. Is it John Blinken? It is. <laughs> it's not John Blinken. Why the hell? His name is Mark. I'm going to put him on right now. All right. Hey, Mark. Hello, this is John Blickman. <laughs> uh, no, this is actually Mark. Calling from Wisconsin. Uh, I have a question about priming and finishing a beer. Uh-huh. Uh, so we just uh, brewed a, a double IPA, a five a five gallon batch. Uh, we ended up with about five and a half gallons total. Uh, just bottled, uh, not this Sunday, but the last Sunday before it. Um, and we primed with four ounces of dextrose corn sugar. Mm-hmm. And the beer was uh, 1082, starting gravity, finished at 1014. Um, so the big beer. I'm worried, I just tasted it the other day got no carbonation out of it. Uh, I'm worried a few things. I didn't prime it enough. Shooting for somewhere between 2.2 and 2.5 volumes of CO2. Um, I'm also worried it was my first all-grain batch. It's crystal clear coming out of the carboy. Uh, I mean, I couldn't see any. After a week, I can't see any yeast really on the bottom of the bottle. I'm worried maybe we didn't add yeast to the bottles or uh, what do you think I did wrong that I haven't noticed any carbonation after a week so when how long did the beer sit before you added the priming sugar and bottled uh, maybe two weeks we did two weeks of primary maybe ten days of primary mm-hmm. and uh 
just like four days of secondary. As as you say, you don't really mm-hmm. need uh, secondary. We just did it to get it off the hop so mm-hmm. we get grassy flavors. Mm-hmm. Put dry hop for Uncle Simcoe, uh, so I didn't want that nasty vegetable flavor. So, um, yeah, don't, don't crash. Uh, so, uh, there, there is yeast in the beer. That's, mm-hmm. that's got to be, even though it looks real clear. What yeast did you use? Cal Ale? Uh, Sapphire. Oh, five? Two, two packs of uh, 05. All right, so there's yeast in the beer. Um, how warm have you been storing the bottles? Uh, 70, but maybe going down to 68. Yeah. Like very, okay. I mean, we're in Wisconsin, so it gets cold at night. All right. Um,. I would I would just uh, you know keep it warm for another week and see what happens. I gotta imagine it's mm-hmm. it's it's getting there. Yeah. You could even try warming them up a bit more too. Um, you know, eighty degrees, eighty five degrees. Um, you know, if you got a a room that you could get that warm. Yeah, maybe maybe um, take a six pack or a few bottles. And yeah. hold them, hold them at around eighty-five, and uh, okay. see if see if that does anything to those. Yeah, and I think the rest will just they will they will get there over time. I mean, the only other possibility is you didn't mix the the corn sugar in well enough, and uh-huh. you're going to have some bottles that are exploding and some that will be flat. <laughs> okay, um, so we boiled it in a small solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we made like a simple sugar, pretty much uh-huh. simple, simple syrup. Um, right. And then you put it in the the bottling bucket and racked it. And you racked it in the bucket. Yes, and we uh, use the bottling bucket to to bottle. Yeah, I mean, I I, I bet you it should it, be fine. It just hasn't, you know. There's not that much yeast in there. The yeast wasn't that healthy after uh, dealing with the high-gravity fermentation, the high alcohol. There's still live yeast in there. It's just going to take time. Uh, You probably would have been better off on that high-gravity beer to uh, dose it with a little bit of extra yeast, healthy yeast, and that would have made it carbonate sooner. So would I do that at a bottle when I rack into... The bottling bucket. Where would I add the, the yeast if I'm gonna yeah, be adding yeast yeah. to my bottle? Yeah, you do it right in the bottling bucket. Get it mixed in well with with the sugar and everything, and okay. then you just get a little bit of yeast into each bottle that way. Would you say like uh, half a little dry yeast pack or yeah, a that whole would, pack? A half would be more than enough. Yeah, yeah half would be good. Okay. Yep. Great. But Thank you, gentlemen. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give up on this beer, Mark. I'd. I'd. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd. I'd hold on and see. I. I. I would guess. I mean, it might take a month. Um, okay. But it should carbonate up. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. It tastes delicious, but there's Good. no PO2. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Uh, you bet. Have a good day. Thanks for calling in. All right. You too. Bye bye. All right. Look at that. See, proof that, that people uh, listen to the show. That my brother-in-law Mark listens to the show because I told him to <laughs> and called in. <laughs> no. <laughs> no.
no, no, no. Um, proof that the people who work the equipment here aren't incapable of taking a call. Huh? Right. <laughs> this is the first time we've actually the equipment's well trained. We've Very actually well been trained. able to get somebody on the air, regardless of all the people That's, that have called. Yeah. We just needed Scott. That was the key the whole time. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's the key in a lot of cases. <laughs> Uh, like getting the, sh- the first show on the air. That, that required Scott, too. That required Scott. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Scott, for, for saving our bacon. Speaking of bacon, let's take a uh, short break. And when we come back, uh, we will have more of your questions right after this. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can. Featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Suck it, JP. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to MoreBeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey guys, what'll it be? I'm not sure. What do you recommend? A lot of people seem to like the Hefeweizen. Is that a German Hefeweizen or more of an American-style wheat beer? I'm not sure, but I can give you a taste. Okay, great. Great. The Cicerone Certification Program certifies and educates beer professionals in order to elevate the beer experience for consumers. Unfortunately, not every bar is staffed with certified beer servers who can guide their customers through a beer list. Here you go, guys. Let me know what you think of the Hefeweizen. Yeah, that's definitely more of an American meat. But I can hardly tell because this beer just smells like sour butter. I wonder how long it's been since they cleaned the draft lines. Yeah, and look at the bubbles on the side of the glass. It's filthy. Somebody should tell these guys about the Cicerone program. For sure. How about we head somewhere else for another beer? Your server should give beer the same respect you do. Request quality. The Cicerone certification program offers four levels of beer certification, in-person classes, and course books for beer professionals. Check them out at Cicerone.org. The Cicerone Certification Program. We know beer. 
Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Check out their brand new patent-pending mash and boil 110-volt electric mashing and boiling unit. This compact all-stainless unit lets you mash, sparge, and boil just about anywhere that has a 110-volt plug. Double wall construction adds to efficiency and safety, and a precise thermostat keeps temperatures where you want them. Unlike insulated buckets and converted coolers, multiple temperature rest mashing is easy to do, all for under 300 bucks. They also feature the Mark II Work Pump, a magnetic drive high-temperature pump that does the work of pumps that cost twice as much, as well as exclusive Brewer's Edge regulators and quality Keg King kegs and disconnects. Check them out today at williamsbrewing.com to bruise their vast selection. Do you know the three most important rules in brewing? Sanitation, sanitation, and sanitation. And no one does it better than Five Star Chemicals. Five Star knows sanitation. You can only sanitize clean equipment. And Five Star knows how to clean, too. For craft brewers and home brewers, Five Star has what you need to keep your fermenters, serving tanks, kegs and draft lines sparkling and free of any beer-spoiling bacteria. PBW, caustic, acid cleaners, star sand, Santa Clean, lubricants and defoamers, pH stabilizers, and more. Five Star Chemicals has cleaning supplies, safety supplies, heat exchangers, pumps, hoses, and valves. And Five Star is proud to offer eco-friendly products that exceed customer expectations. If you have a cleaning problem, you need the Five Star Solution. Visit FiveStarChemicals.com or call 800-782-7019. 800-782-7019. And get the Five star treatment today back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys brew strong all right we're back we are talking about uh, body related things today although we got a call about carbonating beer which mm-hmm. worked out fine I wasn't about to ha- hang up on him. It seems like the only caller that made it through in the last five years. Three. Yeah. Five years. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah. I'm going with this one. That was my first call. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. I was surprised. All right. Uh, questions. All right. John and Jamil, I keep reading on the internet. About mashing at a higher temperature to give more residual sweetness. Now, my knowledge of brewing science is by no means exhaustive or even comprehensive, so I might be getting something wrong, but this mantra seems to be erroneous. My understanding is that mashing at a high temperature will result in a wort with a higher proportion of longer chain sugars, trisaccharides, and longer uh, maltotriose and dextrins. So if we assume that maltotriose is partly fermentable, depending on the yeast strain used, that dextrins are unfermentable, then I can see the wort with more long-chain sugars will result in a beer with a higher final gravity and probably have more body. However, I don't see how this equates to more sweetness, as in, in general, the longer a sugar chain is, the less sweet it tastes. In fact, dextrins are barely considered sweet at all. Wouldn't the only way to truly make a beer sweeter be to add simple sugars after the yeast had been filtered out so that it wouldn't be fermented? Although I can't imagine why you would want to do so. Are people confusing body with sweetness, or am I the one that is confused? Well, he's not confused per se, but higher gravity uh, mashes do yield 
a more residual sugar that does have perceptible sweetness. Yeah, um, although I would agree with them. The you know just because something has a higher finishing gravity does not mean it is sweeter. Right. Sweetness is. Uh, you know, perception of you know the the, the sugars and all that, uh, and, and could be affected by alcohols, could be affected by a lot of different things. Uh, I, I think you know he, he's totally right. All you're doing is producing longer chain dextrins. So all these sugars are essentially, um, you know, the, the the shorter the sugar is, the sweeter it is. The simpler the sugar, the sweeter it is. The more complex, the less sweet it is. Uh, we made a beer where we added a pound of lactose per gallon of beer. And it's just barely sweet. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things. Uh, if you take maltodextrin powder... That's available. You can buy it at your homebrew right. shop. Mm-hmm. Take a spoonful, put it in your mouth. It's not sweet. Um, you know, these dextrins are not sweet. They can add to a fullness, you know, maybe to body. Um, but, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, they, and this is, this is one of my passionate points is people confuse malty with sweet. And people confuse, oh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know these these higher mash temperatures with sweetness. I mean, that's like an old thing that was internet th- stuff. Yeah, I've I've had beers where, um, you know, same recipe, uh, you know, different mash temperature, finished, uh, you know, higher gravity and tasted drier, less mm-hmm. sweet. Um, you know, lower you know, finishing gravity, um, tasted sweeter. Because, again, it, you know, it's a combination of things. It's the alcohols. It's the residual sugars. Generally, there are no or there's very little residual sugar in a beer that tastes sweet. They've right. pretty much been all fermented out. All the glucose, fructose, maltose. There's usually some residual maltose, and then these really long, long chain sugars. And it's that residual maltose that you're tasting as sweet. If you can make your beer attenuate well by proper fermentation, enough yeast and nutrients, and all that, the maltose will get taken up. The beer will taste drier, though it may finish at a higher gravity. Uh, because of these longer chain dextrins that the yeast you're using is not able to consume. Yeah, that that brings me to another aspect. That, that really good points. Um, in the in the whole NEPA, you know, New England IPA uh-huh. uh, discussions, yeah. um, people were trying to mash at higher temperatures, use lower attenuating yeast to get uh-huh. uh, some residual sweetness, right. and I think that really is misguided and i think the um there really is no need for a higher mash temp to create a a high residual sweetness wort um as you say the sweetness comes from many different factors coming together Mm -hmm. um it's the bitterness balance the amount Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. bittering you do um yeah i'd say by reducing the amount of bittering uh, that affects uh, New England IPA more than anything. 
Right. And, and so um, trying to mash higher to get a sweeter wort um, it really is counterproductive because, as you say, um, what you want in drinkability is a beer that finishes well. And, you know, 90% of the time that is a beer that – um, is very fermentable mm-hmm. with not a lot of dextrins left over. Mm-hmm. And so the the perception of sweetness, I think, is going to be more affected by residual body, water treatment, bitterness you know, ratio, mm-hmm. and so on, that balance. Well, and um, you, you mentioned the high-gravity brewing. You know, the alcohols that are produced can yeah. come across as sweet. They can come across as bitter. They can come across, you know, there's there's so many alcohols and, and how those are produced and what are produced will affect, you know, your overall perception of uh, sweetness or, or dryness or whatever in a beer. Yeah, well, look at your evil three. I mean, there's a highly fermentable word, but a high percentage of alcohol, um, extremely drinkable, extremely well-balanced. Uh, in terms of, you know, lots of bitterness, but that alcohol sweetness balances the beer out and has great drinkability. Um, so that's, again, that points that same thing where even though you haven't done uh, a high-gravity mash to cause residual sugars to, you know, balance all this, these IBUs, the alcohol is providing the sweetness instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, good question. Interesting question. You know, uh, when you have interesting questions, you know, a lot of times you can turn to your local homebrew shop, which yeah. uh, if your local homebrew shop is uh, Great Fermentations out in Indiana, you're you're lucky. Well, and even if it isn't your, your local local that you drive to, they are on the web. Uh, you know, it's Blickman's local shop, but they have... Uh, the largest catalog of Blickman products on the web. And their staff is some of the best trained in the use of those products. So, I mean, you know, Blickman comes in himself. And they got questions, they, they get them answered, and, uh, you know, they can tell you all about uh, how to use them. And top that off with uh, top-notch customer service. These folks are great. They even ship uh, most items uh, same day. Check them out, greatfermentations.com. You can even like them on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. It is uh, great, G-R-8, uh, fermentation, G-R-8, fermentation, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, like them today, greatfermentations.com. All right, uh, next question there, pornographic uh, Stevon. Right. This one is in reference to, I think, on a previous show, a guy that wrote in about the end of the keg being thinner and lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, someone's responding and said he's had this happen, and he thinks he knows what's going on. He says if he's using a chest freezer as his kegerator, there are cold spots where the cooling coils are inside the walls. If the keg is touching these spots, they can freeze the water inside the beer. And when the beer is low on the keg and the ice melts, it dilutes the beer. Therefore, having a thinner body. Uh, he's keeping the temp inside at 35 Fahrenheit, which is fine, but since it's a freezer, the coils get much colder than that to cool the volume of the entire freezer down. Yeah. I'm not sure I believe that. Because, um, all right. Let's say the ice is frozen in the beer. Um, which is possible, but, you know, it has to get f- quite cold. Um, 
And when the ice freezes, the beer you're taking off is very thick and yeah. higher alcohol and more intensely flavored because the ice is mm-hmm. just, you know, bound up water. So is what he's saying that it's freezing when it's when the keg's full and you're enjoying it and it's frozen then and then later on the ice is melted and that's yeah. why it's thinner? Yeah. I mean, well, if it froze early, why isn't it freezing later? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you now moved, maybe you moved it to the, the keg exactly. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't. Uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't uh, do the Occam's, Occam's razor test here for me. Um, I think a lot of times it's because there's contamination, and the beers. You know, you've got Brett or whatever consuming the long chain dextrins, and you know it's thinning out the beer. And I think, you know, a lot of times we don't notice because we're bleeding off beer and uh, so it never becomes over gassy. Because generally when you set a keg in a cooler and you let it sit for a while, if the beer's clean, what happens is all the really fine particulates drop out and then, you know, head retention improves and just, you know, the beer improves overall. I don't know. What do you think, John? I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I'm more inclined to think that um, it's due to low-level contamination and, and uh, you know, further right. attenuation uh, causing that lightness of body um, rather than icing because, yeah. And, and you know, if you're holding the, the keg at 35, I mean, it's... It's going to be hard for a local spot to ice up mm-hmm. in that in that volume. I mean, um, the whole thing would really have to get below thirty, you know, thirty right. to to start icing. Um, Twenty eight. I mean, yeah. any anything with uh, you know your average strength beer. Um, you know, five, six percent. It's good down to what twenty nine, twenty eight degrees before it freezes. Oh. Or yeah, less than something that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I can imagine a cooling coil in the wall. I don't think the guy's crazy. I, I, I'm right. Just, but, I'm not yeah. convinced that's the, the actual answer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you set it up against the cooling coil. It's probably getting down to zero, something like that. Or even. Uh, well, it sounds like it, he said he's had this happen. Yeah, himself, yeah. So. so, again, I don't think I don't think he's crazy. I think. Um, I don't think that's the answer to this question, though. Um, I mean, you know, maybe it's one one cause of right, right, right. A couple. You know, but I mean, it would have to freeze initially when the keg's full. Yeah. When it's less likely to freeze, and then uh, thaw Not later. Later, when you've consumed most of it, and it's more yeah. likely to freeze. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I just don't. I mean, I don't temperature alone will like kind of. It won't be all homogenous inside the keg. If there is a cold spot, won't it kind of separate like a little bit? It doesn't necessarily have to freeze completely. I mean, do you it, think it'll? It certainly can. Um, you know, one of the great things about temperature, unless 
I mean, you can set up, uh, you know, there can be zoning of, of different temperatures. And what happens is the liquids will almost kind of isolate themselves from each other based on temperature. You know, the density of the liquid changes and they will set up layers that way. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? This actually happened the other day to me. So I was so no 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 so I was working at <laughs> it was nothing. <laughs> so um, I was at McKellar and this guy came up and he's like, "Hey, do you like IPAs?" I'm like, "Sure, I'll tr- pretty much drink whatever beer." He said he'd be right back. He went to his hotel down the street from McKellar Bar, came back. Um, with two, you back to his with hotel. Two, with two. <laughs> Came back with a, a tube yes. of lube and yes. an invitation. Uh-huh. Came back with two uh, tall cans of uh, treetop IPA uh-huh. or something like that. Um, he took them out the of his backpack and I noticed they're, the, they're frozen. Uh, they were the frozen. Apple juice. Uh-huh. They're frozen solid uh-huh. entirely. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, his you know hotel <laughs> fridge is really, really actually cold. works compared to anybody else's. Yeah, yes. exactly. So <laughs> the ones but that it was frozen heaters solid, so I left it out. Uh-huh. I just left them out. I was like, oh, well, that sucks. So right. I opened them up, left them out, uh-huh. just let them defrost, right. and the body was ultra, ultra, ultra thin and had no taste to it, pretty much. So why do what? So well, maybe this goes to, like, what actually happens to a beer when it gets frozen and then You know, defrost? you will. So a couple things happen. Um, freezing it and defrosting it doesn't do anything to the alcohols, really, I don't think. It, it can set a permanent haze. Um, that's generally the thing that is like, oh, mm-hmm. you don't want to ha- have that happen. But in, in As far a, as body, though, I mean, uh, you're nah. talking about long chains. Does it do anything to those? No. 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 Well. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think that that's the case. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. You get the water um, freezing out, you know, forming crystals. Um, you get concentration of the beer as it melts. Then you could get some stratification right. where the water the the water now would float on top of the denser beer. Um, hmm. But you're not going to pull that. I mean, and it's it's in ice form when when that happens. Yeah. And I guess, I guess if it if it all right. So let's say that happens, where ice forms, it floats to the top of the beer, right? Yeah. Um, right. Even even with alcohol in there, it's still going to be lighter. Uh, so the ice would float to the top, and let's say then it melts. If you're in a keg, it's drawing off the bottom. So your stratification would be water on top and richer beer yeah, on the bottom. Yeah, but wouldn't that kind of make sense when you get to the bottom of the keg? You're getting you're getting mostly water that, near that the end of the keg. Could yeah, mm. if you if that okay. stratification stays right, it would have to stay the entire time. Okay, okay, all right, all right. I, I I could I could see something <laughs> Some like merit. that possibly happening. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, okay, that would explain explain uh, how. Yeah, I'd be curious with the guy who originally reported this issue. Um, yeah, yeah, we need more info, and I could see. You know, freezing a can, not disturbing it. 
the ice on top, slowly thawing and, you know, under just the right conditions, leaving more water on top. And then if you carefully decanted it, that could be thinner. That would explain your can experience. Yeah, I just opened it up and let it just defrost. Right, 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 right. Huh. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, maybe could it be perceived body, too? Like, what does it... Like, I mean, I opened it up, so carbonation, I mean, probably mm-hmm. for, like, a number of hours. Yeah, perceived carbon... You know, perceived body with, uh, you know, a lack of carbonation, that could make a difference as well. Um. All right. Okay. Yeah. Sounds I'm, like something for MythBusters. You know, walk it across the street over there and have them yeah. try it out. Right. Mm-hmm. I would think. Um, so I guess there's a, a possibility of that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say no. I'm gonna say needs further research. Plausible. Yeah. Uh, NFR needs further re- mm. research. All right. Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, um, I'll be researching another beer, and uh, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanisha, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of Citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at brewerspublications.com. If you work in retail sales, the restaurant industry, or are a new craft beer enthusiast, or you know someone who is, you have got to check out Beer 101. Beer 101 is an online course created for anyone wanting a quick introduction to the vast world of craft beer. Beer 101 covers the history of beer, brewing ingredients and processes, vital stats like ABV, SRM, IBU and gravity, styles, tasting, glassware, and pairing beer with food. The Beer 101 course is offered by the 
Brewers Association at craftbeer.com. Also home to the truly awesome Beer Style Finder, a visual guide to every beer style. Quickly play with color, bitterness, and alcohol content to interactively explore the entire world of beer styles with a gorgeously designed interface to your favorite beverage. The new Beer 101 course and new Beer Style Finder are only available at craftbeer.com. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. Grog tags aren't just for labeling your home brews to hand out to your friends. They're the perfect way to round out your personal brewing marketing. Bringing your latest beer to a funeral? Craft a metal sign to go with it. Heading out to Little Liam's Bar Mitzvah? Grog Tag custom bottle caps are awesome. Couldn't get out of jury duty this year? Grog Tag the hell out of the deliberation room with reusable labels. Grog Tag has an awesome array of products just waiting to be customized by you. Metal signs, coasters, tasting mats, bottle caps, tap handles. It's all there waiting for your designs at Grog Tag. Liven up your next party with the widest selection of custom products ever offered by a sponsor of the Brewing Network. Grog Tag. At least your beer will look good. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Well, you know who also need, knows how to brew strong is uh, our good friends at White Labs. And they're bringing it strong with the Vault. I don't know if you've heard about the Vault, but they take like uh, 20 new strains that you've never heard of before that, uh, you know, secret, uh, you know, uh, super secret uh, Mighty Mouse uh, type strains that uh, they've <laughs> carefully uh, collected across the world from. Uh, cool uh, breweries that shall remain nameless and then uh, they make them available for you uh, through this vault program so you go to whitelabs.com slash the vault and they've got these strains there and they keep adding new strains uh, you know, as they get opportunity to and when uh, you, you place a pre-order for it and when it reaches 150 pre-orders they go ahead and ship it directly to your door and you get to work with a yeast that uh, you normally wouldn't get a chance to do. And the the really cool thing is, yeast makes like 95% of the flavor of beer. You're going to get a chance to make a beer that you couldn't make otherwise. And that's all thanks to the White Labs Vault program. So check it out. Uh, they've got all sorts of stuff. If you're a commercial brewer, you can get them to grow one of these up for a liter and a half order. Um Check it out at uh, uh, whitelabs.com slash the vault today. All right. Uh, what's our next question, uh, Pornographic Stephen? Hey, guys. I am currently using a cooler mash tun. I consistently start my mash at the right temperature. However, over the course of an hour, the mash temperature drops roughly 10 Fahrenheit. Until I upgrade to a Kegel mash tun that I can keep heated, is this going to affect my conversion too much? I'm not too worried about losing body as I typically brew lighter ales. Well, I would say a few things here. One is a 10-degree drop. Either he's not insulating the top or he's measuring like near the side or something. 
I mean, 10 seems kind of high, doesn't it, John, over an hour? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I usually never saw more than five. Right. Um, uh, insulate the top. Put put insulation on the top of whatever you're using for your mash. That's where most of your heat is going to get lost. Um, you know, evaporation of liquid um, drastically drives down your, your temperature. Um, so cover it up. Uh, don't keep peeking at it constantly. Um, that lets out a lot of heat. So I don't think you would have that big a drop. Um, if you're measuring, measure multiple points around the sides, in the middle. Um, and then, you know, the question of it, you know, messing with body, I don't think it really does. No. I mean, he's got a – it depends on what temperatures he's mashing in at. And then what temperature he ends up with at the end. But if, let's say he's hitting 155, you know, to mash in, right? Uh, and then it cools down to 145, mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of fine. I mean, it's perfect. I right. mean, you've got all your starches soluble mm-hmm. at 150, so you've you've gone past that. Mm-hmm. Everything's in solution. Yeah. Um, as it cools, your the survivability of your al- uh, beta amylase improves, mm-hmm. so your beta is going to stick around a little longer. You should be nice and fermentable. Um, I don't you I don't see your you know you're not going to mess up your body. Mm-hmm. You're not going to over attenuate. It's going to be a good beer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if on the other hand, if he's only hitting 150 to do, you know to mash in, and then it cools cools down to 140. Um, yeah, he may be missing out on conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's just slightly too cool. Didn't right. get every, get all the starches into solution and so on. Well, you know, does he say he's working at like a McMurdo station or something? Or I mean, uh, you know, is he? In the Arctic of, of some kind, or is this actually you, Steve? <laughs> is this you uh, failing? Maybe in your first brew. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if you lost ten um, throughout the entire mash, and unless you leave the lid off. Yeah, right. Make sure you put a lid on, uh, and uh, you know if, if that's not good, you could wrap it in a in a blanket or something like that. That'll help too, or just strap on some uh, styrofoam. That'll make a huge difference if you got like a really thin, cheap cooler. Yeah, and you're you're comfortable with strap ons, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, there you go. So strap one on. All just right, strap one on. Uh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, guys. Uh, when I bottle my beer from the keg, it tastes watery and thin. However, when I pour a glass straight from the tap, it tastes fine with plenty of body and not watery at all. Is this what they refer to as bottle shock? I'm not getting any off flavors from the bottled beer, just thinness. I tried bottling with the Blickman beer gun, but uh, with, which is just a piece of tubing attached to the tap, and also just directly from the tap into the bottle. All seem to produce the same result. Hmm. I've never heard of bottle shot. Yeah, I'm not sure what he means either. So he well, pours it from yeah. the tap and it's fine. Right. If he bottles from the tap and then opens the bottle and drinks it, he says it's thin? I mean, I've I've done this where you <clears throat> have poured a pint of beer and then I've run 
uh, you know, beer into a bottle and then immediately poured it into a pint glass. And the beers are different. That's okay. what they mean by bottle shock. Uh, loss of carbonation then due to mm. pouring, pouring. I, I think, you know, it has to be related to that. You know, the question would be, um, you know, how, how much later is he checking the beer? Because I've bottled beer and had it turn out, you know, just fine. Um, so it's an initial thing, and I think it has to do with, like, the bottle being slightly warm, you know, and, uh, you know, bottle being room temperature and adding some warmth to the beer, uh, driving off a little bit of carbonation is lost, and then, you know, those that combination of things makes the beer seem different. So if you're like, bottling from the keg, should you kind of, like, pre-chill like chill it? Um, I wouldn't worry about it because, you know, you take those bottles and then put them in the fridge and then at the same temperature as your beer in the fridge and then you pour one draft and pour one out of the bottle and they go back to seeming, you know, very close to the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would notice the difference. If they're truly coming out thin or something like that, I mean, that's, again, maybe a contamination issue. Um, more and coming from the keg to the bottle. Yeah, more likely than not, you know, I would say dirty he's bottles, losing yeah. you know, dirty bottles or dirty lines, or especially if you fill off a faucet. Faucets are filthy, absolutely filthy. You never want to fill off a faucet. That's a giant mistake. I know Tasty does it, but you know, uh, sanitation. Right. Well, but I mean, I think that cost him the chance to win medals at times. Um, you don't want to fill off a faucet and then leave it for long. You could fill off a faucet, fill a growler, take it over to your friend's house, you know, or some bottles, take it over to your friend's house and drink it that night. Yeah, it's no big deal. If you let it hanging out for too right, long. Right, but you don't want to leave it for weeks or something like that. Um, I mean, the other possibility is driving off CO2. Um, he mentions using a beer gun, things like that. I'm assuming he's not getting horrible foaming. Um but that's another possibility. You're driving off too much carbonation. Carbonation is a weird thing. Uh, depending on the gravity of the beer, the, the body of the beer, you know, a lot of the, the alcohol content, a lot of different things, you can get more body by not putting in as much CO2, like in an English ale. You can get more body by putting in more CO2 and something like a Belgian ale. I mean, it just depends on on the individual beer. Sometimes too much CO2 can give a beer a sense of thinness, and sometimes too little CO2 can give you a sense of thinness. So it's it's kind of a an odd thing there. So, you know, perhaps it's a CO2, uh, perhaps it's a contamination. I'm not sure what else. Those are the only two that occur to me. Yeah. Seems more like a sanitation thing. Especially, if, well, if he's, he said he's using the, the yes in my years, years of experience. Of well, I mean, he says he's using you no know, tried bottling with the Blickman beer gun. Mm-hmm. Like, unless I don't know, man. Like, right. it just right. doesn't seem like carbonation is the major factor here. It seems more likely like it's a slight low contamination issue. Could be. Could be. All right. Uh, 
let's squeeze in one more. Hello, Brown Network. Hello. Hello. I have some questions concerning carapils. Basically, why and when? Why add it to the mash if you can simply increase the mash temperature to increase dextrins and non-fermentables? Mm-hmm. Is there a unique flavor, or am I missing something else? And secondly, when should it be added to the mash if used? Should it be mashed in with all the other grains, or added after the bulk of starch conversion has already taken place? Well, I would say it does have a flavor, um, but, I mean, it's mainly for the addition of dextrins. Um you won't degrade them by mashing in early right. and mashing late. Yeah, you throw them in early. Um, I've always yeah, – it's, it's, so there's a lot of people that use them. Um, and and I, I blame Vinny at Russian River. <laughs> it's all his fault. Back in the day – uh, so Vinny has uh, it was blind pig recipe or maybe Pliny recipe or something had both carapils and uh, simple sugar like corn sugar in the recipe. And it's like aren't those two kind of counter countering each other? And he explained it. Um, you know, when back in the day when he was trying to brew the beers, his mash tun was too small. And so um, he wanted to add uh, simple sugar to up the alcohol, but he didn't want to lose body, so he added the, the carapils. And so that was kind of his, his thing. I'll tell you also that really uh, there, there are brew plants out there in the world that work at one temperature. So when you dough in, it's always the same temperature. They cannot raise the mash temperature. Like home brewers are spoiled in that they could do any mash temperature they want. Some commercial setups, you it's 152 all the time. If you want more dextrins, well, you better add carapils, right? If you want, you know, lower overall, you got to add sugar. But you can't change the mash temperature. It's not something the brew plant is capable of. So that's really what it's for. When you can't change your mash temperature, you throw this in. Mm, okay. Um, I mean, that said, you know, if you want to use it, use it. Um, I, I never brew with it. Yeah, I never use it. I've used it in the past, and then I'm just like, well, I'll just raise my mash temperature. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't, I've, I get great head without using it. I don't think it's needed for extra foam. Um, Mind yourself there, Steve. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really don't see a need to use it. It makes more sense, Jamil, from what you just said. You know, right. There, uh, there is a reason for it existing. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps I'm mistaken, and it is like the greatest thing for head retention, and, you, you know, everybody should be using it because it's, it does so much better, you know, than raising the mash temperature. I mean, there is care of foam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, don't use either, but... Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, just... I like to keep things simple a lot of times, you know. Just not add too much other stuff. And depend on that. Plus, having to stock it and all that—that's like uh, that'll kill me. 
Seems like too much effort. All right. Uh, you know what isn't a lot of effort is downloading the free AHA Brew Guru app. Right. You can get it for free from the uh, Google Play Store. You can get it from the App Store, the iPhone App Store. You can probably get it from the little kids sitting at the end of your couch. I'm just saying. Uh, the Brew Guru app is going to uh, guide you to all those great discounts that you have available to you. Um through the AHA. If you're an AHA member, you get discounts at a lot of homebrew shops, bottle shops, restaurants, breweries, brew pubs, enough to more than pay for your membership. Don't forget, from the membership, you get you know access to things like the member session at GAPF. You get the homebrewers conference. You get the Zymergy magazine. You get the uh, online forums. You get like all that stuff, and you get somebody like uh, looking out for uh, you know homebrewers in in government. You get all that, and you can actually net yourself more money <laughs> by using the Brewer app than you paid for the membership. Trust me on this. If you like beer, I'm assuming you do. If you like to brew beer, I'm assuming you do. And if you eat, I'm assuming you do. Uh, you can you can end yourself with a net profit. So uh, check out the Brew Guru app. It'll point you to uh, all the great places around you that have uh, discounts for AHA members. It'll point you to places that don't have discounts. Um but support the ones that do. And uh, there's even some curated content on there. Uh, great uh, articles about uh, Bruin. So check it out. Uh, Brew Guru uh, from the AHA. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we will wrap up uh, your questions about uh, body right after this. Brewing Great Beer is a process of continuous learning, and the best books on every aspect of brewing can be found at Brewers Publications, with more than 50 awesome titles like Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles by Ray Daniels, American Sour Beers, Innovative Techniques for Mixed Fermentations by Michael Tonsmeyer, For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture of Hops by Stan Hieronymus and Radical Brewing Recipes, Tales, and World Altering Meditations in a Glass by Randy Mosher, plus many, many more. These are the books and the authors with the knowledge to push your brewing farther than you thought possible. And you'll find them all at fine homebrew and book retailers everywhere. And visit the website at BrewersPublications.com. Brewers Publications, all the best on beer and brewing. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, they're amazing special issues like plans for building a brew 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift. When you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the Brewing Network.com. 
Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20 gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your Brew Easy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman kettle cart. The Brew Easy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your Brew Easy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new Brew Easy all grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We've been answering, Steve. Uh, we've been answering your questions about uh, uh, body and all that. Uh, when you have questions, you can send them in to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork dot com, and we will eventually get them on the show. Uh, we get. We them appreciate the your questions. It helps us under- understand what our audience wants to talk about. Well, and we also appreciate our fine sponsors. For example, adamandeve.com. Check them out. Uh, they are offering, if you use the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, uh, at adamandeve.com, you can get 50% off just about any one item. You'll get a free romance kit, a free DVD, and free shipping. The romance kit, kit is going to uh, include... It's not a coloring book. Well, it's a special toy for him, a special massager for her, and a little something you know we know you'll both love. Plus, you're getting the free DVD to kind of get you all in the mood. So check it out. It's all shipped for free if you use the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at adamandeve.com. All right. Uh, let's see. What do we got left? We got two questions left? Yep. All right. Let's try and hammer through them. All right. This one's about head retention and cider. I'm considering making my first. <laughs> what? What? You're trying to <laughs> just the, so the title in, insider is a long-term joke through you know through the years, yeah. uh-huh. and a head a re- retaining the head insider. I don't know. It seems a little yeah. a little odd. A little I'm, suggestive there. I'm wondering if this question is real. <laughs> is this all a joke? I'm considering making my first hard cider this year, and I had a question about upping head retention. See? See? All of a sudden, <laughs> oh, it's man. taking on a different meaning. <laughs> Every sentence is funny now. I know apple cider lacks the protein content that is important for maintaining You deposit head. the proteins in the cider. Beer. So I was wondering if there was a way to utilize a small percentage of one of the head-encouraging specialty mm-hmm. grains. Carafoam, carapels, oats, flake barley, wheat etc., without significantly contributing flavor to the final product. I'm not worried about trying to pull extra sugars from the grain, and I'd really like to preserve mm-hmm. the flavor of the cider, but I don't know how far I can go in the cider. 
How far you can go, insider? In, in, insider with the percentage without significantly changing the flavor profile. Hmm. Would I need to mash them? And if so, would I need to add in some amount of base malt to encourage starch conversion? And they just be steeped in a solution that encourages, encourages protein extraction? Or is this all a terrible idea? Well, carapils and carafoam are already converted into dextrin so you can steep them you don't have to mash them mm-hmm. so um and then other grains such as rolled oats or on you know raw, uh, flaked barley which would contribute a lot of protein those would need to be mashed right that was to be real real hazy uh, yeah. But hey, hazy nowadays is fine in anything. Um, yeah, what do they use in commercial ciders? They use like uh, uh, kelp, uh, carrageenan, and, and all that yeah. other stuff. The same thing they use in ice cream to give it right. a, a thickness and a, a fullness. Um, you try some something like that. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, cider really shouldn't have head. Right, right. I don't think of insider as, as being full ahead. Um, you know, and in a lot of these things, you can get these these products, and they are you know just naturally extracted, uh, you know, goo from kelp, and it's not like it's uh, not you know organic or natural. So you could use some of that too. I think mm-hmm. it's as natural as something extracted from grain yeah yeah um yeah well if you have some of these commercial ciders um they will have quite a bit of head on them oh, um, really? yeah huh. um yeah if you're, if you're talking the, the the big brand commercial ciders they okay. they'll, they'll head up because they add these these uh additives to them yeah um i think like you're saying though john you know, well, if you want real cider, you know, you're really not looking for head. I mean, what is the head doing? You know. Right. Um, so, yeah, maybe just skip that. I mean, that's what I would do, but I'm trying to answer the guy's question here. Um, but like you said, you know, some care foam. Yep. Yeah, steep it. And I think it would add some flavor. Um yeah, you get a little bit of a grainy. Yeah, uh, because you'd need quite a bit. Yeah, um, I imagine you'd need probably several pounds per five gallons to make a difference in a cider and really give it good head retention. Yeah, it's likely true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So at that point, you're going to taste it for sure. If you mm-hmm. just steep like a quarter pound or half pound, I don't think it's going to make any difference at all. Right. Right. Yeah, the uh, the carrageenan or you know the the kelp and so on that would right. that'd be more uh, to... more flavorless, especially if it's highly processed. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that's I, that's how the commercial folks do it. So there you go. All right. Uh, last question. All right. This one's called mash play. <laughs> Just curious, not trying to reinvent the wheel, uh-huh. if I were to mash in my upcoming brew of a Helles Munich that I'm experimenting with a lower mash temperature to possibly mash in this time at a mid to high protein rest, 
Mm-hmm. Then within 10 minutes, fire the burner and the recirculation system to slowly go up to the desired mash of 148 Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Would I, in theory, have a much less muddled beer due to not having as much of my mash denatured due to the higher mash temp of 168 to hit 148-ish if I were to do a single infusion? I'm experimenting due to the ongoing desire to make this beer the same flavor as the first time I brewed it back when I was only using a cooler system in 2013. Now with the cooler, I denatured grain, but back in the day, I'm sure I lost a lot more heat in the mash. I'm trying to lower the mash temp to see if a drier beer is what I recall original recipe was 152 Fahrenheit mash. So what this points out to me is don't drink when you're writing these emails. Um, <laughs> questions. And reread them and make sure they make sense. Um, that is a whole lot of confusing. Uh, all right. So I'm assuming when they said 160-something, 140-something, they're talking about, like, going in hot. He like, doesn't want his mash denatured due to the higher mash temperature of 168. Right. He wants to start so, lower but then fire. Right. So... Uh, oh, strike right, water at 160. Right. Uh, a high strike water temperature to get to 148. That's going to mean your grains are cold. And, the you know, I would say move your grains indoors, um, you know, a couple of days before so they can get up to, like, room temperature. And you wouldn't need to go 168. I mean, 20 degrees is yeah. quite a drop. Um, so... I'm imagining the, those grains must be really cold. So if you want to avoid that, you could probably go 160 and, you know, even if you go 168, you're not denaturing all the enzymes in the malt. I think um, right. unless you're doing a really high water to grist ratio, but then that doesn't make any sense either. You could, again, go at a lower uh, temperature with a higher water to grist ratio. And that could help as well, as well as warming up your grains beforehand. Um, so that would resolve that if that's your worry. And I wouldn't really wouldn't worry about that. Starting out at a protein rest, like, you know, in the 120s to low 130s and then raising it up, I don't think that's the solution either. I don't no. think that's going to do you anything uh, of value. Um, hmm. Your eyes there, John. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're cleaning out the spillway. Lots of rocks going by. Anything else to add to that, John? Or? No, I I, I I think you're right. Um, Shouldn't drink when when they're writing the emails. <laughs> yeah, if if he's looking for a drier beer, um, you know, a crisper Hellas. Um, yeah, try to adjust your water to grist ratio, calculate your uh, strike temperature so that you're coming in um, at around 148 uh, and, you know, mash temp. Um, yeah, you should only need to go 8, 10 degrees above depending on that water to grist ratio. And as long as you add it and then start stirring, and so everything's, you know, that. And, and get everything wet within the first, you know, minute or two. Um, you're not going to significantly denature anything, even mm-hmm. if you're coming in right. hot, 160, 165 strike temp. It's going to cool down quickly, and 
the you won't denature anything. It'll be fine. Yeah, uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Um, protein rest not needed. Yeah, protein uh, rest not needed. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine with that. I can't remember what I was going to say. Too much Evil 3. Too many other beers. Um, yeah. No, I think... Um, uh, oh, uh, now I remember. Um, you, you know, more important than any anything else in this discussion is, you know, proper uh, yeast pitching rates and nutrition and uh, temperature control. There if you, you do those things, you can get a dry beer out of just any any wort whatsoever. Because as we talked about earlier, um, <clears throat> the residual dextrins, long-chain dextrins, are not that sweet. And what is adding a lot of sweetness is poor fermentation. That's really how uh, the whole thing about, uh, you know, uh, yeah. homebrew yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, higher-gravity beers being sweeter and all this stuff... Because people weren't pitching the right amount of yeast, knew nothing about proper oxygen and nutrients. If you if you maintain those and you do those correctly, um, you can have a a, a, a a thick, viscous beer that's dry. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Very so good point. Uh, you know, focus on that. I think that's you know probably more important. All right, uh, another good show. I think. Uh, we all enjoyed doing it, and hopefully you enjoyed listening to it. And if you did, I would suggest contacting our sponsors like Blickman Engineering and uh, letting them know that you appreciate that they've been sponsoring the show for like the last 10 years, so you haven't had to pay for it ever. Uh, so uh, check them out. Uh, send a, an email to John Blickman. You can use feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and tell them how much you appreciate uh, his efforts on your behalf. And uh, check out things in the store. Um, you know, when you buy things from the Brewing Network store, uh, it all goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps keep shows like this on the air. They've got things like uh, hoodies and shirts and growlers and water bottles and uh, uh, other random stuff like coffee mugs and first aid kits. And, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. that stuff. And uh, like I said, when you buy this stuff, it goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. So until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong, everyone. 